If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. So Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 7 to 12, but we're going to focus on verse 12 specifically as we've looked at the rest of the passage in weeks prior. So Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12. Friends, listen. This is the word of God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. God's word. So we're just going to break down verse 12 today. We're going to look at it, and uh, as I read this and began to study, um, I hit the word so, and I thought, wait, 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 we're going to stop there. So um, what we're looking at here is Jesus sums up everything you need to know in one sentence, and it begins with the word so. The word so. So is, after you've gone on and on and on, after the new preachers do this, Right, we go on and on and on, make a point, make a point, make a point, and we say, and so, right, we sum it all up, and we think sometimes, why don't we just get to the so, we can cut out all that stuff, then more clear and focused, well, Jesus is summing up the word so, what he's doing is, that in the next verse, Jesus is going to begin to conclude the Sermon on the Mount, okay, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is the conclusion and the application of it to our lives. But before he does that, he wants to sum it up first. He wants to make sure that we understand what he said. Okay? And there's a connection with what he said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember this in Matthew 5, 17 and 20? Jesus said this. He said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He said in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus came to talk. He, he wanted to, his message in the Sermon on the Mount is, I'm going to re-explain the Bible to you. Okay, I want you to understand what the Bible was always intending. Because in Jesus' day, the Bible and the message of the Bible had been corrupted. People were confused. People were misguided about what the Bible meant. And the challenge was that the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the perpetrators of the misinterpretation of the Bible. And so Jesus says, look, I haven't come to do away with the Bible. I actually want you to understand it. And the Bible calls us to a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. There is a righteousness or a rightness to our lives that should characterize us. And the scribes and the Pharisees were about religion. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not about religion, it's about having a relationship with me. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is a description of this righteousness. 
Jesus is describing what real rightness looks like. Well, it's not about religion. He says, when God's power comes upon you, it changes everything. Okay, we've been looking at this at the Sermon on the Mount. The idea here is that Jesus' love for you makes you want to love others. Jesus' presence in your life makes you more like him. And he talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look, it's not just externals, but real rightness, real righteousness affects your heart. Right? It's not just the things outside. It's not just the stuff you do, but it's the stuff you want inside. Remember Jesus said, you heard it said, but I say to you. And so he says it's not just external, but it's also in your heart. He also says it's not just public. It's not just who you are in public when everybody's looking. But this righteousness actually changes your private life. You don't just talk about knowing God, but when nobody else is around, when you're in secret, you actually have a real relationship with him. This is part of the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. He's fulfilling the law by teaching us who God really is, what God is like, and what it means to love and obey him. That's what Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's interesting because in verse 12, Jesus says, this is the law of the prophets, this big summary statement. So it's kind of like, well, you've got a choice. You could read the Old Testament, or you could just memorize verse 12. Jesus is summing it all up and saying, what I'm saying to you is what the whole Bible is for. Okay, this is what God is wanting to create. This is what God is wanting to create in us. And so as Jesus sums this up, as Jesus sums up his message, he really gives us two steps. So if you want to know about the Bible, the Bible is concerned a lot about relationships. A lot about relationships. And in this verse, Jesus gives us two steps that will change every relationship that Okay? There are two steps here that will change every relationship that you have. Okay? Step one. Jesus says, whatever you wish. Verse 12 says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you. So that's a good question, right? Think about that for a second. What do you wish that others would do to you? Jesus is inviting us to stop and to imagine. Imagine. So think about the relationships in your life, and I want you to make a wish list. You know, Amazon is the greatest website on earth because whatever you want, you can go there and create this wish list so that not only you can keep track of everything that you want, but anybody else can go on and look at your wish list, and they can know exactly how to make you happy. Right? And Amazon's wish list is so powerful. I don't really understand how to do this, but you can actually find things on other websites. And you can somehow put other websites, products, and services on your wish list on Amazon. So imagine that. But Jesus is saying, look, this is what I want us to do this morning. I want you to think about a relationship that you would like to see change. Okay? Think about a relationship that you'd like to see change. In some way, you want, you want your relationship to grow. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's someone you're dating. Maybe it's a work relationship. 
want you just to take a minute and actually write down what you wish the other person would do for you. Okay? Just a few things. Just write it down. Images just pop into my mind is um, grapes in a can. Right? Maybe a foot massage. Talk for a minute about what you might want. Okay, I, wanna, I don't know what's on your list, but I'm going to talk about some things that tend to be on these sorts of lists that we, that we create. Um, I think the first category of things that makes our wish lists in our relationships um, are, are different forms of control. And different forms of control. And so often, what we want is, is control. We want to be in charge. And I want to offer you some wisdom that comes from the Bible. Um, and, and that wisdom is that control actually doesn't satisfy. If you are actively pursuing control in your relationship, if you're trying to control someone else, trying to control their responses, their reactions, control their feelings, their emotions, control what they want to do, that just doesn't satisfy. It doesn't work very well, but it also can tend to feed our selfishness. If you orient your life around trying to control other people, what that does is it breeds and nurtures selfishness in you. I think relating to control, another form of control, but more specific, is um, if, if your list includes things that are really like your way or your desires. Like, I wish this person would see things my way. I wish this person would agree with me. I wish this person would do what I'm telling them to do. And you give a, a vision of just, you, you kind of wish, on your wish list, like, I wish I could just state my opinion and have it be accepted in a dream. And this is just natural for us, especially when you think about the concept of a wish list. Um, but uh, I think one of the best examples that I think helps us to see the hang-ups of wanting your way in relationships are um, the two movies that they made called The Stepford Wives. Do you remember those movies? They made one a long, long time ago, and they just redid one in the early 2000s. Um, Tim Keller brings up this, these movies in his book, Reason for God, in a way that makes a really powerful point. Because um, you kind of watch the movie, you see it, you sort of know it's wrong, uh, but what he does is he puts his finger on why it's not just wrong to do this to someone else. Because in Stepford, Connecticut, you've got these men who all get together in a community, and they turn their wives into robots. Okay? Turn their wives into robots. And so they are perfected, in quotes, <laughs> perfected, versions of themselves. Turning to robots, they're all beautiful and glamorous. They're all super compliant and obedient. Um, and, uh, and then the movie is about what it's like for them. And there's a couple that comes in and figures out maybe something's up and how this whole thing works. What Tim Keller said that is so, I think, so powerful 
He says, yes, these women were beautiful and compliant, but no man in Stepford would say that he had a marriage that was either intimate or personal. Catch that? If you're married to a robot, if you really want to be in control of someone else in a relationship, if you get that, you'll have someone who maybe is compliant and more beautiful and uh, maybe not, something's not even a wish list in change. So you might have someone who's compliant, but you won't have a relationship that's either intimate or personal. When you demand your way, when you need to have your way, when you need to be in control, you end up losing talents on a relationship. You follow me? It seems to me that what we really want in relationships is a relationship. Right? Um, what we want is we want we want to be loved. We want people to respect us and our opinions. Not because they have to, but because they can't think. But we want thinking people to love us. Right? We want thinking people to respect us, to show that they genuinely care about us. Right? That's what we want. We want people who are interested in us. They know us and they understand us. Right? Isn't that what you want? And I think that involved in this, this includes telling us when we're out of line. So I think we do want this. Uh, none of us want to be the emperor with his new clothes. None of us want to live our lives thinking everything is okay and not knowing that we're walking around naked. Because no one is willing to tell us. We want people to be open and honest with us in the context of a loving relationship. And so, here's my shot at describing what we want in our relationships. We want someone who knows us as we are. Someone who loves us as we are. And then someone whose love makes us better. This is my wish list. And it's not just to be personal, but I think even at work. There's a work version of it. At work, we want someone who knows us as we are. Same thing. We want someone who cares for our best interests. And someone who actually is involved and cares about what is best for us. And we want someone whose presence makes us better. Right? We don't want a boss like this. We don't want employees like this. We want colleagues like this. And then when you think about this, if you can have this, wouldn't this be like a foretaste of heaven? Take a minute to adjust your wishes. 
and you could use this. You could reword or reshape what you've already written. What's interesting about Jesus is that this is how life is supposed to be. This is the world. These are the relationships that God created in the beginning. It was relationships like this that characterized life. And it's, it's our sin that has caused this to run It's our sin that's destroyed this from being a reality. It's our selfishness that's ruined this. And sin destroys relationships. But the good news is that Jesus is speaking about this to us because Jesus came to save us. And this is why. Jesus came to save us so that we could have this. Jesus came to deal with the sin that ruins our relationships. He came to bring healing and renewal and restoration to your relationships. The good news is that this can start today. Your relationships can become profoundly different today. Last week we heard at all harbor service how Jesus he wants us to follow our mascots, right? He wants us to become modern day Ezra's, Esther's, and Nehemiah's. These are people who bring renewal into our relationships, and this verse gives us the two-step process of how to become a modern-day Ezra, and bring spiritual renewal into your relationships. For modern-day Nehemiah, to bring social renewal into your relationships. For modern-day Ezra, to bring this kind of cultural renewal into your work environment and our relationships there. And so these two steps are um, step one, right? Whatever you wish. So we're following Jesus' two-step process. He says, think about this. Determine whatever you wish. Figure out how you want to be treated. Step two. You go first. Think about everything your heart could desire in your relationships. And then Jesus says, you go first. Part of me just wants to stop right now because I don't know if you really need to do anything else. Come up with your interest and then you go first. This is what he said. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Do also to them. You start. You go first. The ball is in your court. So let's go back over your list. Right, the one that you wrote. Circle the item on that list that you're going to do first. This is this is the righteousness of God. You take the initiative. In your relationships, you go first. Like this is actually the Sermon on the Mount. 
as Jesus is describing the righteousness of God, he's saying, here, you go first. Think about Jesus talking about the heart. Remember the giants in the heart? Right? Those, those sinful inclinations that we have in our hearts. Jesus says, you take the initiative and begin to deal with those things. Right? Don't wait for someone else. You go and examine your heart and bring God's power and his presence into your heart. Jesus says, in your relationship with God, in your private life, you go first. You take the initiative. You build your relationship with God. You spend time with Him. Not just when everybody's looking, but in secret. Meet with God. He says in relationships, you go first. Don't judge people. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't enable people. Instead, you go first. This is a call to radical obedience. It's interesting because these are the kinds of people I think that everybody wishes Christians were. Both in the church and outside. If we were known as people who went first, who were first to apologize, who were first to um, to love. We were first to care. We were first to ask the question, what can I do to make this relationship healthy? Or what can I do to care about this other person, to understand this other person in the office, in my, in my house, in the community? And what would we be like? I mean, these are modern-day Esthers, Esthers, and Yemites. This is what it's all about. And I know if you're thinking the way I'm thinking, then you're probably, you might be thinking right now, well, wait a minute, but what if they take advantage of you? And hold on, what if I go first and they don't go second? Good question. All right, well, what do we do then? Well, let's apply what we're learning here. If you were hurting someone else, how would you want them? Treat you. And what would you want that? What would your wish be for someone you're in a relationship with, your spouse, for instance? If you were doing something that was hurting them, how would you want them to respond to you? Forgiveness? Yeah, I mean, maybe even just to bring it up first in a loving way, in a caring way, to be willing to forgive. I mean, it's interesting because your answer to that question about how would you want them to respond also, I think, indicates whether you're after like, a Stepford wife, Stepford husband, or if you want a real relationship. Um, I think what I want, if I hurt somebody, is I want them to lovingly be punished. To come to me and say, you know what, what you're doing hurts. What you're doing bothers me. That's what I would want them to do. Because I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to treat people that way. And so I would want them to let me know that this is the effect of my actions for that. And so the fear, if I go first, what if they don't go second? What if they don't reciprocate? What if they take advantage of that? I think that this principle would say that you can do to them what you want them to do to you. 
Jesus doesn't want us to be poor guys. Jesus even told us back in verse 6, don't enable people. Don't throw your pearls before swine, right? Don't enable people to sit in this week. And so there is a measure. So there is a measure of, I think, someone takes advantage of you, if they use the, the go-firstness to take advantage of you, then you can choose not to let them continue to sin against you in that way. If they're not willing to confess their sin when they've been confronted, and if they're not sorry for what they've done, or they're not seeking reconciliation, then I think what's appropriate is a, like a separation. Like there's a separation. If unrepentant sin causes walls in relationships. The reconciliation comes through the person who's hurting that person confessing it, owning it, taking responsibility for what they've done. Right? And if there isn't that, that can't happen, then there can't be a relationship. Okay? If you sin against someone else and you're not sorry, then what you're basically saying is, I want to step for life. I want to step for husband. Somebody never gets hurt by any one people, but is always there, always compliant, always obedient, always happy. And that's not a relationship. That's not intimate, and it's not personal. When this happens, when you go first, something extraordinary when you go first, something radical happens. And that is that you actually bring heaven to earth. When you go first, heaven comes to earth. Because remember, these kinds of relationships, when you go first, these are the foretaste of heaven. Somebody knows you, somebody cares about you, someone uh, you know, who, um, whose love makes you better. These are foretastes of heaven. Therefore, every time you go first, every time you love someone else in this way, then you are a foretaste of heaven. When you go first, you are bringing into your relationship a love that comes from God. Paul, it's a love that comes from God. And what's amazing is that as you love people, with a love that comes from God, that love fills you. And in some ways, this is a picture of how Christ works through you. And every time Christ works through you, His work stays in you. His work stays in you. And so, to be a blessing to others is to be blessed by God. And this is why the Bible said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because when you receive a blessing, you receive God and His presence, His blessings. But when you are a blessing to others, when you give God's blessings, they come through you. And so you receive and you share it with others. This is what spreads God's presence. It's in you. This is how we do it. This is what brings renewal. Spiritual renewal when you go first. Social renewal when you go first. Cultural renewal when you go first. When you love 
or you actively love, when you come up with your wish list and you say, okay, I'm going to do this first for you. It spreads. It spreads. And the two outcomes, when you go first, the two outcomes are either that they will receive it and they will do it in return back to you. That happens. That happens because love is fetching. And love is contagious. When you love other people, wrath diminishes, anger is dissipated, reconciliation abounds. When you forgive someone else, it just it moves them to want to forgive you back. But if that doesn't happen, if a person doesn't do it in return, then God will meet you in your place of need. If you go first and they don't go second, God will be with you. God will meet you and he will meet your needs. That's one thing to say that. If you're a Christian, you probably think, all right, I guess I'm supposed to believe that. Um, I wouldn't ever argue with that because how can I do that? I'm supposed to be a Christian, so I think I have to believe that. But actually believing that, you have to, it takes faith. For you to go first in trust that God will meet you as you go first, whether or not you get a response, that takes faith. You have to trust that God would actually meet you there. And why would you trust God? Why would you trust God to meet you there? I think you trust God because of the person that's speaking to you. This is Jesus who is saying, whatever you wish, you go first. Whatever you wish, you go first. It's interesting because this has been called the golden rule. And Jesus isn't the first person who ever said this. He's not the first religious leader who ever said this. Every religion, every philosophy, most philosophies just about have some form of do unto others as you have them do unto you. But what's different about Jesus what he said is that before Jesus tells you to go first, you go first. Before Jesus tells you to go first, you go first. Think about that. We want someone who knows us as we are. Jesus went first. He knows exactly where you are right now. He knows everything that you've done. He knows everything about you, all the good and all the bad. And because he knows you, he came. The reason Jesus came was for you. Jesus came for people who don't have it all together. He said, blessed are the spiritual desires. We want someone who knows us as we are. It's a Jesus came because he knows us as we are. We want someone who loves us as we are. And so when Jesus came, he didn't just say, look, you guys are way out there. You guys are zeros. I'm just going to tell you, you know, what you're like. So I'm going to be honest with you so that I can tell you that things got to change because if they don't change, you're in big trouble. No. 
Jesus came because he knows who we are. And then Jesus died because he loves us as we are. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, I have come to show you my love and a sacrifice. I gave up my life for you so that you would know how much I love you, so that you would be so clear. Jesus said, before you go first, I will go first. Before you go first, I will go first. We want someone whose love makes us better. Jesus rose in victory. In the resurrection, he proved that he conquered sin and death. He came out of the grave paying the full price for the penalty of your sin, whatever it is. So maybe God will look at you and say, if you trust me, you are forgiven. And that kind of love, when you experience that love, if you're able to receive that kind of love from God, that love that is extravagant grace, that love changes you. That love makes you better. Not because you want to earn and be worthy of that love. But it's because you have that love. That love itself makes you better. Go back over your list. See one of the lists that you down. Hasn't Jesus done every one of those things? Hasn't he understood you? Hasn't he shown time and time again how much he loves you? How much he cares for you? How willing he is to receive you just as you are, to be with you and by yourself? We go first because he went first. I know some of you are here you're still exploring Christianity. You haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. This is a really clear way to think about the gospel. Because, yeah, we need to go first. We need to love. We need to care about other people. But we do this because Jesus has gone first. You can let him go first. You can receive his going first by trusting his death and his resurrection in your sin. You confess your sins to say, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm sorry for the way that I've sinned. Please forgive me. Thank you. You died for me for those of you. And Jesus' love will fill your heart, and you will want to go first. You'll find something in your heart that just says, Man, I've received this, I've got to share. So, friends, let's go to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for going first. Thank you that as our hearts feel convicted about the relationships that we're in, sometimes we do the right thing and we go first, Lord, but so often we don't. So often we're so afraid that our needs aren't going to be met. We forget how you meet our needs. And God, we just bow down and we thank you again for going first. 
It's a powerful love that you have given to us. Let it fill our hearts and move us. Jesus, move us to radical obedience. Help us to go first this week. Help us in our relationships with our family, with our friends, at work. Help us to go first. Lord, help us every day as we wake up in the morning, as we think about what's going to happen to us in the day. Help us just to spend a couple of minutes and think about how we can go first. How we can go first at work, at home, our family and friends. Lord, use us to fill this city with more of heaven because we went first. 